You're the very one that he come to stretch those arms wide open and to express his love for you. And you've been allowing the devil to beat you up too long. Believing the lie that you'll never amount to anything. You might as well give up. You might as well quit. Nobody loves you. Everybody hates you. Don't believe that lie. Do not believe that lie. The Lord has come into this house this night to love on you if you'll let him. Lord Jesus, I just ask you that in the next few moments that as we bask in your presence that Lord our logic and stinking thinking would just be obliterated by your presence and your spirit. I pray Lord that the Holy Spirit would move in our midst and that Lord not one person would leave here the way that we came. That, but that all of us Lord would be challenged and changed and inspired and strengthened and leave with a newfound hope as we remind ourselves that you'll not leave us nor forsake us in spite of our sins your blood cleanses and washes away and Lord we just invite you tonight to move among us do what only you can do Lord, give peace to those that are in the middle of turmoil right now. Lord, we ask that healing virtue would flow in those that are sick in their bodies and their emotions, their minds. Lord, that that healing balm of Gilead would flow in our midst. I pray that the peace of God that surpasses understanding would rest in this house tonight. In this world of chaos and turmoil and struggles and strife that tonight tonight we would encounter and walk in the peace of God Lord we ask you to bind us together in love and I pray in the next few moments God you'll help us to hear what the spirit of God would speak in our midst as we look at your word We'll be sure to say thank you and to give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. <clears throat> I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 4. But to kind of set it up, most all of you here I'm sure know the story of how Moses was placed in a basket. I better pull it down like I'm going to go for a ride. But... Uh, he was rescued from the river and was taken into Pharaoh's palace and educated and raised and was a prince. And one day he's out and in chapter 2 he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews and his indignation rose up and he put a whooping on him and he killed him and buried him in the sand. And a few days later he, it was brought to his attention. He found out that Pharaoh had found out and 
Scripture says that he basically ran for his life. He dwelt in the land of Median. One day he was at a well and the daughters of the priest of Median came to water the livestock and the shepherds came along and bullied them and ran them off and Pharaoh, I mean Moses stood up for them and defended them and took care of them and helped them water their stock and they got home early and their dad says, how did y'all get here so early? And they said, well, and told him the story and they said, well, where's the man? Why didn't you invite him to come and to eat? So Moses shows up at the house of his eventual father-in-law and he went in and this man gave him Zipporah, uh, one of his daughters who became his wife. Meantime, the king of Egypt dies. The Jews begin to cry out to God in their bondage and in their slavery. And God heard their cry and he moves and, and uh, Moses is down on the backside of the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. And you're all familiar with that story of the burning bush. That got Moses' attention. And God has this conversation with him and he's telling him, I want you to... Uh, Go lead them, my children out of bondage into a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a promised land. Moses did what you and I would do. He said, who am I? Like the songs Peter says, who am I that Pharaoh will listen to? And I imagine in the back of his mind he's actually thinking, the reason I ran Egypt from Egypt is because he's wanting to kill me. And here you want me to go back and talk to him about letting the people go? Anyway, God wins that conversation. We get down to chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 1. Then Moses answered and he said, But suppose they will not believe or listen to my voice. Suppose... There's twice suppose in the same verse. Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it, just like you and I would have. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Moses said, there ain't no way. I'm no, uh. <laughs> Reach out and take it by the tail. And he reached out in his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Then he said that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said unto him, now put your hand into your bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And he shall be, it, and it shall be that... Uh, if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take the water from the river 
and pour it on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight for just a few moments about power. We live in a day and age of everybody's mesmerized and consumed with power. And I'm going to use some examples that I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. I went with Josh and Duke one time over to Best Buy. We were going to buy, I think it's called a Mac computer to put back here in the sound booth and stuff. And Man, Duke and Josh, they start talking about how many megabytes and how many... Dog bites, snake bites, all kind of bites they're asking about. Megahertz and how bad does it hurt? And I mean, I just, I went shopping for suitcases or something. But anyway, we live in this world of power hungry. How many horsepower does it have? How many foot pounds of torque? You know, who's in power? Who's in control in politics? Who's in power and who's in control in the home? Who's in power at school? Who's calling the shots? The staff or the gangs? Power, 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 power. Tonight I want to talk for just a few minutes about the one that has all power. I ain't talking about no little bit of power, no occasional power, limited power. I'm talking about all power. This passage of scripture, I want us to see four or five things. And the first thing I would like for you to notice is that Moses begins to make these excuses as to why he don't need to go to Pharaoh and and, and maybe other people ain't going to believe me anyway, nor that you've talked to me. And so he says, what is that in your hand? Oh, a rod. He said, throw it on the ground. I told Duke today, if when I throw that thing down there, it becomes a snake, you better get up here. <laughs> so it became a snake. Now I want you to notice, the Lord told him, he says, showed some wisdom here. He said, pick it up by the tail. I'm with you. There's a lesson here, two lessons actually. One is this rod represents the life of an ordinary man, you and me, just ordinary folk. But an ordinary life's person, a person's life that is laid at the feet of Jesus, laid before him, becomes, has the potential to become something extraordinary because if you'll pay attention to this rod, Throughout the book of Exodus, he said, by it you will accomplish great things. With it you will accomplish great things. The second thing I want you to notice about this rod is when the Lord says, pick it up. The Lord was speaking to me saying, I want you to face your fears. I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of peace and of love and of power, of a sound mind. 
face your fears. Understand something. I speak to Christians almost daily that are living in fear. And God doesn't want that. Plain and simple, he doesn't want us living in fear. But that is a stronghold that the devil has slipped into our homes with and has created fear in our lives. And it so distracts us that oftentimes we don't even hear what God is speaking to us to do. So I want to encourage you from this passage of scripture to face your fears. That can include anything. Whatever's causing you to be fearful. Finances, relationship, sickness, disease, whatever. Face your fears. Knowing the Lord's got you back. This rod, when he picked it up, no longer is an ordinary rod. Behave yourself. This is the rod. And when it got to the Red Sea, he holds that rod up. The Lord sent a little gentle breeze. And it began to intensify. And it pushed back the waters. I, I have to say this again. I know I've said it before. My man Wayne Martin, numbers guy. And I'm not going to try to remember the numbers, but he brought out a very interesting point. You know, when we're children in children's church, we all see these pictures of walls of water standing up here. And man, they're just trying to hustle to get across. Brother Wayne, being the numbers guy, he, he put the pencil to it. And there's roughly two million Jews, cattle, oxen, horses, sheep. And all of that. And we know they crossed in a little less than a day on dry ground. So for that many people to cross in that length of time, that water was pushed back about two miles. Another reason he validates that with is because, as Wayne says, Pharaoh's name was Pharaoh, not Fulroh. When Pharaoh got there, if he'd have seen these walls of water standing up, he'd have probably said, uh-uh, I ain't going in there. But that water was pushed back so far, he probably didn't even see the water. He, he knows there's dry ground. Children of Israel had passed over, so he just follows them right off in there, thinking he's still in the desert. And God destroyed them. He released that water. And he destroyed them. But don't forget the fact that your life laid before the Lord is no longer an ordinary, normal life. The anointing of God can come and empower you to accomplish things that you never, ever would have even remotely been able to come close to doing outside of God. And the Bible's full of illustrations. I won't spend a lot of time there, but David would have never whipped Goliath without the Lord. Samson would have never took the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men. And your mind right now is thinking of several illustrations and should be. Secondly, in verses 6 and 7, he said, put your hand in your bosom. He puts her in there and pulls it out. And it's leprous. 
Leprosy is representative of sin in numerous cases. It represents the condition of man's heart. We're conceived in sin. We're born in sin. We've, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none of us righteous in and of ourselves. We can't be good enough, give enough, do enough. Works are good. Giving's good. But none of that in and of itself can save you. The Lord said, put your hand back in there. So he did. When he took it out, it's cleansed. God's showing him, I have the power to not only turn your ordinary life into a life of extraordinary things, but I also have the power to cleanse sin. I also have the power to forgive you of your shortcomings and your failures and your sins. And we need to embrace and re remember that tonight. Doesn't matter what your sin is. I want to be very clear on something right here. One of the hardest things I ever did was some years ago when the Bloxham young man got killed down at Stonewall. I stood before this church and I talked about the guy that had set him up on the computer and met him and killed him. Tragedy, tragedy it was, is. But that we needed to pray for the guy that was the perpetrator. It's hard for me to say. Because I tell you, the flesh side of me wanted to do anything but pray for him. But that's who the Lord came to die. People that have been prostitutes and murderers and drug addicts. And just the good old boy that's never done any of that stuff. That just born and has just been himself. Lived in the woods fishing, hunting, roping and cutting and... Playing ball and golf and tennis and fishing and just doing whatever. Just a good old boy. But good old boys will be in hell. Just like the vilest of sinners. There's one thing that cannot be forgiven. One thing. Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. I used to think, now I'm fixing to make myself very vulnerable here. I used to think that meant talking, uh, talking negatively about people that spoke in tongues. That's not what it means. What it means is this. When the Holy Spirit knocks on the door of your heart and is convicting you that I'm that sinner that's being talked to. I'm that sinner that the Lord Jesus Christ came to die for. I'm that one that he's standing there knocking on the door of my heart and he's saying if you'll open up I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. I'll save you. I'll cleanse your sins. I'll become your God. You'll become my people. But if you're the one that says no. Not now. Not today. Some other time. I got too much partying to do. I got too many lives, uh, too many jokes to pull and too much stuff to do. And we, we blaspheme. No, no, no. That's what can't be forgiven. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, it can be covered and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Verse 12, we see where he has the power to be with us and teach us how to speak, how to live, how to do. But have you ever stopped to think, if I'm going to be taught something, 
I got to sit in the class. I got to listen to the teacher. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the voice of the Holy Spirit. Who is the teacher that will lead, guide, and direct into all truths. Teach us all things. You've got to invest yourself. You've got to spend time with the Lord. You've got to have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit would say. You've got to want to know what God thinks about certain situations. You've got to apply his word to your life. You've got to hide his word in your heart so that you don't sin against him. You've got to put yourself in a position for him to form convictions of do's and don'ts in you. And quit listening to what people say and learn to listen to what God God says because I want you to know whatever he says in his word he'll never contradict with any other thing or any other body his yeas are yea and his nays are nay and you've got to put yourself in a position to hear his voice and to learn and to grow how many of you know that things that don't grow are unhealthy if you're the same at the same place today that you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago in your walk with God, you may be saved and on your way to heaven, but you're not healthy. Because healthy things grow. Growing things change. Are you changing? Change calls for us to trust in God. Are you really trusting in him or is it lip service? I don't want us to be part of the church. And I preached this message a few weeks ago about, he said that in the last days there would be a church that has a form of godliness but no power. We know all the cliches to say and the songs to sing and the buttons to push. And we know how to look like we're having church. But there's no power. And I want you to understand something. That's one thing Jesus reiterated time and time and time and time and time again. Not only did he say all power in heaven and earth is mine, but he went about Jerusalem. Went everywhere he went, he went about doing good and healing people. He went about casting out demons, calling forth the dead, multiplying food, doing good things. I want you to understand something. I believe that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. I believe that he desires to show himself mighty and strong in our lives. I believe that he wants to do great things if we'll allow him to. If we would not only allow it, but if we'll begin to expect it. If we'll begin to believe God for the miraculous in our midst. Never forgetting that the greatest of all miracles is the miracle of salvation. But I do believe this. The Lord confirms his word with signs and wonders. Let me say that over here. I do believe that God confirms his word with signs and wonders. Amen. Some of y'all weren't here two weeks ago when I stood up and told about how God healed my shoulder while they're singing. While we were praying for others. Linda testified as to how the Lord healed her back. A little 12-year-old boy prayed for her. There are other people in our midst that they've been healed and set free and delivered from alcohol, from drugs. Cancer's been healed. Tumors have disappeared. The only thing I got to say about it is Christ. 
Jesus Christ. Up your expectancy level. Don't be afraid to cry out to God and to believe God for the miraculous. Don't be afraid to do that. And fourthly, and I'll close. In verse 9, he has the power to turn a blessing into a curse. See, in verse 9, he told him, dip some water out of the river, pour it on the ground, and it'll turn to blood. What I read here, what I see here, you know, they're in a the, they're in the, they're in the part of the world where water is pretty doggone valuable. Water is pretty valuable everywhere, but over there in the desert, really is. So that water in that river, that was a blessing. God was saying, I have the power to turn that blessing into a curse if there's not obedience, if there's not repentance. Don't let your blessings, be it financial or athletically or politically or anything else, don't let your blessings become a curse to you by it distracting you or taking you away from your adoration and your love of God. Don't let that blessing become a curse. We see it most prevalently in the athletic world. People who came from nothing all of a sudden have a whole bunch and it ain't long till they have nothing again. And usually wind up going to prison or in trouble. When they had enough money on signing day, when they signed and got their bonus, if they wouldn't have just squandered it like the prodigal son with riotous living and done stupid stuff, they could have lived comfortably for the rest of their life. I read an article one time, and I'm going to have some of these numbers wrong, but they're going to be close. At the, at the height of Michael Jordan's career, he made enough money that it says Michael Jordan will go to the golf course, play 18 holes, it'll cost him roughly $300. But while he's playing that round of golf, spending that $300, he's going to make $11,000. He'll go to a movie. He and his wife, girlfriend, buy a popcorn, Coke, soda pop, whatever. And it'll cost him $50. But while he's in that movie, he'll make $7,000-something. Said the average American could, could live comfortably on one penny of every dollar that he made in his time at a $60,000 a year salary. But then he went on to say that Michael Jordan would have to save every penny he made for 240 years to have the net worth of Bill Gates. And when I read that, I was floored. But then the verse came to me. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? There's nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with stuff. Things, toys, trinkets. Nothing wrong with it. But it's just wood, hay, and stubble. Like the old saying goes, it's not original to me. You hadn't ever seen a U-Haul truck or trailer behind the hearse. They don't, you can't take it with you. Although Duke told me a good joke, and I'm going to close on the joke. I can't believe that, Duke. <laughs> Talking about this 
lady that yeah. her husband made her promise that when he died he was not going to leave the money that she made her promise that she would bury his money with him so he died she writes her a check for six million stuck in his pocket said now when you get to where you're going if you need that you can cash it <laughs> folks it ain't about the money it's about when you stand before the Lord and you hear him say well done good and faithful servant he said don't worry so much about the temporal live for the eternal lay up your treasures in heaven would you bow your head maybe you're here tonight and you say Dennis I'm just going to tell you I've, I've kind of lost focus I've been focused on wrong things and I'm not where I need to be with the Lord and I'm not just talking about salvation, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just talking about you're just not where you need to be with God. But tonight, you would admit to yourself and you would admit to God and you would make a commitment to Him to draw close to Him. Because His Word says, if you'll draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto you. See, the thing is, is you've dis